Hello and welcome to the Pantsuit Nation podcast. Pantsuit Nation is an online community of 3.8 million people who have come together to resist the current administration through activism, advocacy, and the power of personal narrative. Um, this is Courtney Tunis. I'm one of the co-founders of Pantsuit Nation. Usually I'm joined by my fearless co-leader, Libby Chamberlain, but unfortunately she has no voice today, so I am flying solo. Um, so I'm going to jump right into our guest, Nadia Okamoto. She is a 19-year-old Harvard sophomore from Portland, Oregon, and the founder and executive director of Period, which is now the largest youth-run NGO in women's health and one of the fastest growing in the United States. In 2017, Nadia ran for office in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and she recently signed on with publisher Simon & Schuster to write a book to mobilize the menstrual movement, which is coming out in fall 2018. Welcome, Nadia. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to have you. There are so many things to talk about. Um, let's yes, start with absolutely. your <laughs> let's start with your work at Period. Tell us a little bit about this organization, which I want our listeners to know. Nadia founded when she was sixteen. Um, so, what is Period all about? Yeah, so Period, the menstrual movement. Um, as you said, we're a global youth-run NGO that provides and celebrates menstrual hygiene through service education and policy. And we do this through a number of ways. Through one, the global distribution of menstrual products to people in need, so who cannot otherwise afford access to menstrual hygiene. Um, but we do it through mobilizing a you know global network of youth activists. Um, in the last about three years, we've addressed over 200,000 um, periods through product distribution and registered over 150 campus chapters at universities and high schools um, in 42 states and 15 countries. Um, And so we've just seen like a crazy amount of growth. And I think that it's very much because we're sort of at this pivotal time of talking about reproductive rights and the women's movement and gender inclusivity and issues around, you know, bodies and, um, and, you know, human rights around access to health. Um, and so we've just seen tremendous growth. Uh, it's been an exciting, like, last year. We opened up our headquarters in Portland, Oregon, and offices in Boston. We're gearing up to open up offices in New York City this year, um, and we hired on full-time staff. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun, and um, I'm excited to keep growing, period. That is such an incredible movement, and I, I'm just blown away by how many people you are positively affecting with this organization. This is, it's so incredible. What got you started down this particular path in terms of the menstrual movement? Yeah, so my passion, I know I'm very passionate about periods, which is kind of unusual, <laughs> or some people think it is, but I think that like most women really- secretly are. <laughs> it's just like not something that you necessarily talk about loudly. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. No, and I, I, I do think that like one of the things that makes period so strong is our network. And I think that it's grown through the power of social media, just like Pantsuit Nation, right? So mm. I think that they're both kind of different things that are just testaments to why young activists are so, so powerful, because we know how to use social media best. And because it's part of our everyday life, it's, it's what we grew up with and you can see how much it can mobilize. Right. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so my passion for periods comes from a really personal place. Um, when I was a freshman in high school, my family experienced living without a home of our own. Um, and during that time, I, it was really through a series of conversations I had with homeless women who were in much worse living situations than I was. Um, you know, and I would talk to them on my 
two-hour commute to school on public transportation um, where my bus stops were right in front of homeless shelters. Um, and I would, you know, collect this anthology or I collected this anthology of the stories of using toilet paper, socks, brown paper, grocery bags, cotton balls, and like literally trash to absorb mm. their menstrual blood and take care of their period. And it was a really big wake-up call and privilege check for me to be like, okay, here I am, a pessimistic teenager, looking at my family's life, kind of always thinking like, why does my family deserve this? Yeah, what got us in this situation? What can I do to help? And feeling very helpless in it. So suddenly realizing like, wow, I'm really privileged and like have a lot of blessings that like education and family and opportunities that I'm not taking full advantage of to... And I just sort of became obsessed with periods. Like I was thinking about it all the time, um, you know, having trouble sleeping. And then I would just mm. collect facts from Google and, you know, learn that periods are the number one reason why girls in the school in developing countries, the single yeah. that leads to them dropping out of school, getting married early, undergoing female genital mutilation or social isolation. And then even in the U.S. at the time, learning that like in 40 states, there's a sales tax on period products. And now it's 37 states. But at the time, it was 40 states um, because they're considered a non-essential good. Meanwhile, Rogaine and Viagra don't have that sales tax, right? So I think that I it was have like a, kind of I have an anger fist. Um, <laughs> forming over here on this end yes. of the on this end of the line. How can you call period well, gear think, non-essential? Oh my god. Okay, sorry. Keep I know. Going. And, well, and I think like that that was a big point of motivation for me of being like, wow, the U.S. government considers like old man hair growth and erections more of a necessity than you know more than half of the population feeling um, clean, confident, and capable, regardless of whether or not they're menstruating, right? And so I think that, and I jumped in in 2014, the like right before you know mainstream media started declaring 2015 the year of the period. Mm. Um, and so I think I just kind of jumped in at a really, really pivotal right, time. You hit and the so wave the right at the right time. Out. Yeah, like right at the right time. And I was sort of like, I, I, I started this organization because I looked around, did Google searches, talked to nonprofits, realized that there wasn't a sustainable service, you know, filling shelters with period products, but also working on long-term change and kind of mobilizing young leaders through it. And so I decided to start it a few weeks after my um, family moved back into our apartment and got back on our feet. And it just kind of started. And I think like, I'm very um, public with my story, but like, um, I think the reason I just had this fire burning within me was one, yes, because it's hard to hear about the injustices around menstrual equity and not get passionate about it for me, but also because I think that on a personal level, I was just desperate to feel empowered in my potential. Because when I was 16, I found myself in a really abusive relationship where, you know, I started experiencing sexual assault in irregularly and it became kind of normalized in my life and I was also at the same time coming to terms with the fact that I had grown up with domestic um, domestic abuse and sex and child abuse and so I think it was all of that coming together at one time while also my family was getting on our feet and finding this passion I was just like unrelentlessly excited about and all of that coming together and just realizing through simple actions like emails and collaborating with people that like I could feel empowered and feel like I had power in my voice. And I really do think that like this youth activism gig is like, it really <laughs> saved my life from a time, you know, when I felt quite, um, quite powerless and discouraged. Wow. Um, Nadia, it's so incredible to hear how you turned your own essentially need to feel empowered into empowering other people because so much of what 
creating a um, comfortable, clean, confident um, environment for someone to be menstruating in is to allow them to be empowered to then go on with the rest of their lives and their work and their dreams without having to be interrupted by it. And it's just, um, I feel like it's such a powerful example of the kind of ripple effect that empowerment can have um, when young women decide to um, empower each other through their work. That's, it's so incredible. Um, yeah, no, so, I, I mean, it's it's so exciting. And like, I think that is like hearing the stories of the people who are in our network and also excited by the work we do is like what keeps me going. <laughs> that's, that's so incredible. So you are, you wear many hats. Um, you've got a lot going on. And one of the things that for people who might, who are in Pantsuit Nation, who might recognize your name, um, you posted in Pantsuit Nation about your recent run for Cambridge City Council. Um, and I was wondering if you would tell me a little bit about, you know, how that was a logical step in the course of your, um, (laughs) your service essentially and, and what that experience was like. Yeah, I mean, I get to ask this question right a lot. Like, how is that? How does that make sense? Why would you do that? <laughs> it makes um, sense to me. Yeah, I'm I mean, just. <laughs> I want our yeah. our listeners no, to no, hear absolutely. your idea. <laughs> no, I totally understand. So, yeah, I mean, it was interesting because um, I had no intention of running. Even like literally a year ago, I had no intention of running like ever in my life. Like that wasn't even a thing that was on my mind. Mm. And then I just got really passionate about the issues. You know, I got involved in Cambridge politics actually because I was working with one of the city councilors to push forward a policy order on period products in public restrooms. And yeah. then through that and in, in also in, you know, feeling connected to the community because my godparents have lived here all my life and Cambridge has been a place I've gone, come in and out of regularly when my family was, you know, housing unstable or going through something where we didn't really have a safe home to go back to. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's always been kind of like a, had a special place in my heart. So like feeling this connection to the city and then also recognizing like how obviously gentrified it was mm-hmm. and um, just like noticing the wealth gap. And uh, I just sort of became obsessed with the issues similar to how I became obsessed with periods. When I started hearing these <laughs> stories, I became obsessed with it. And like you literally in my free time, would download the publicly accessible reports on income inequality, town and gown reports, um, affordable housing, different policy orders, who the city councilors are. And I started meeting with multiple of them, meeting with community leaders and just sort of like hearing ideas. Ended up with like an 80-page Word document on just what I thought city council could be doing better, which eventually became my policy platform. Um, and just started talking about it. And I sort of started getting teased by, you know, adults I was talking to of, uh, you know, if you have so many ideas, why don't you run yourself? And then I started joking back. And this was like in a two-week span. It was very <laughs> fast. Um, I started joking back, like, oh, maybe I will. And then one of the city councilors um, at the time actually looked at me and was like, well, what? why aren't you running? And I re- my, ans- my immediate answer was like, well, why would I? I would just lose. I'm too young, right? Like, everyone mm-hmm. would just look at me and say I'm too young. Mm-hmm. And it just hit me. Like, I'm, I'm such an advocate for, like, that should never be an excuse. And... I think I felt sort of like a hypocrite if that was the only answer, right? Mm. And yes, I should have been thinking of other things like, and it would be a lot of work and I have school <laughs> and I, you know, what would I do if I want? Like, but I think in the moment I was like, I cannot believe that's my main answer. So I put a team together in a week and declared my candidacy the next week. And we ran a campaign full sprint for, from March to November, um, canvassing four to six hours a day. Um, we had like four to 11 people working full time on the campaign all summer, all living in a two bedroom apartment together. Um, it was just quite such an adventure and like, you know, really running a full campaign, full speed, fully devoted and just, you know, 
you know, talk, knocking on over 20,000 doors and just trying to get to as many people to talk to them about why I was running, what, what I was running on, and encouraging young people to to get out and vote. And um, I think it was an ex- experience of, one, experiencing a lot of ageism at the local level and experiencing mm. a lot of racism at the national level, which mm. is very unexpected. Um, because I think with the power of social media, again, like, my campaign video got 33,000 views in, like, 24 hours when I launched, and, like, that was organically. And we were getting both support and hate comments from all around. Mm. Um, and and I think it was just an experience of learning, you know, here are the effects of having a young person of color running, um, right. but also the power of that. And at the end, we looked at the results and said, yeah, I didn't win, but we made historic waves with student youth turnout over doubling the amount of university students coming out to vote. And like, that was enough for my team to like take a deep breath and be like, Oh, we did it. You know? Yeah. That's, I, it's such an incredible win um, in that regard to think about. Again, it goes back to the sort of ripple effect of like, yes, you didn't win, but that's, you know, one part of the goal and getting your ideas out there, that 80 page (laughs) word document, translating that into something, you know, now these are issues that are on the minds of voters that can't be ignored by the people that were voted into the city council's office. Um, And so that is such a critical, important service. For sure. And I'm still, I'm still, trying to show and, you know, like, I'm still trying to show that my work isn't done in the city, right? Like, just because I lost doesn't mean I don't inherently care. I've still been working with university students to think about, like, how can we keep up the interest in student turnout for 2019, right? Like, how can we create this sort of culture where and bridge the divide between city and university? Um, Because it's very tense right now. But Mm -hmm. trying to show that, like, university students have a place here. This is our home for at least four years. And this is a place that we spend our formative years in. And how can we care about the community that's around us? That's so important, and I am so glad that you are continuing with that momentum. I mean, not that I'm uh, surprised by it at all, because you're you're a person who clearly <laughs> likes to be at the forefront of the wave, so it, it makes perfect sense. Um, I feel like I would be totally uh, delinquent in my duties as a Pantsuit Nation podcast host if I didn't talk about how you were recently named one of Teen Vogue's 21 Under 21, which was an amazing <laughs> honor, and you so well-deserved. Um, and and you, of course, sat down with some fellow awardees as well as Secretary Clinton. So tell us a little bit about yes. what that experience was like. Yeah, so um, a few months ago, I got to do a photo shoot with Hillary Clinton and do a video interview with her. And honestly, it was just unreal. You know, <laughs> um, originally, Teen Vogue reached out and said, hi, you and a few other um, awardees of 21 Under 21 are going to be invited to New York and we're going to do an interview with a special guest. And that is all I'm told. And then, like, the week before, I get this email while I'm in lecture in, like, the huge Harvard (laughs) Lecture Hall, Sanders Theater, where, like, the acoustics are really, really, you know, built for everything to echo and spread. And I'm sitting, like, near the front, and I open this email, and it says, just so you know, the special guest is Hillary Clinton. And I just let out a shriek. And I was just so, like... I think in shock and blown away and um, it was worth like embarrassing myself in the first week of class. <laughs> um, <laughs> I bet, it was yeah. while I was still running, right? So it was while I was still running oh, like okay. a month before the, the election. And I think it came at a time when I was just feeling so discouraged. Like 
realizing that in school I was missing out on being a college kid, not being able to, you know, go hang out with friends and go to parties because people would say, like, oh, not here for city council, and, like, take out their phones. And, like, everyone sort of knew that I was running and had their own thoughts and judgments about it. And I think I was just feeling really alone and really discouraged and, you know, being told every day that I wasn't good enough, that I was being stupid for running and, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't have what it takes or, you know, I was um, inauthentic or people didn't like how I looked, how I talked, what I said. And it kind of came at a time when I just felt like so alone and discouraged, you know, mm-hmm. because it was, and I think lonely in the way of like, I, the people, my friends at school who I would normally go to and say, I'm so tired and I don't know what I'm doing. Suddenly we're all potential voters who were, you know, counting on, right. I felt were counting on me to, to have my shit together. That um, really changes the dynamic. So, I, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. 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 So I think I was just feeling really alone and, and suddenly I get this opportunity to talk to someone that I had just looked up to. And I really think that regardless of what anyone's political views are, to recognize that, to, to, to really be breaking a glass ceiling and to, to come, becoming under scrutiny as, um, Hillary Clinton for running for president and making it that far under mm-hmm. so much scrutiny for what she looks like, what she wears, how she laughs, how she holds herself. I think I just so related to a, yeah. a small level, you know, and I yeah, think if there's anybody that would her, um, understand what it is like to walk into a room and be concerned yes. <laughs> that people might pull out their phones yeah. and record everything you do. She's certainly someone who will yeah. relate to that completely. Exactly. And I think running for office just just amplified my respect for that and what that mm. what it takes to do that. Um, and I tell people now, like, even when I say that, yes, I met Hillary Clinton and I love Hillary Clinton. And people say, go Bernie. And I'm like, yes, but like, and I so appreciate Bernie, too, but also recognize like what it took for Hillary yeah. Clinton to get that far. Right. Like what she had to go through. And so, yeah, I got this experience to sit down and we had a we had a photo shoot with Hillary Clinton um, that came out in the magazine and then also got to sit (laughs) down with her and talk to her for an hour, asking her like five questions. And the final video is only one question, but I got to ask her questions like, you know, how do you how do you get through pushback or, you know, um, would you ever run again and that kind of thing? And um, uh, like, how do you cross party lines? And it was just an amazing experience. And, you know, I'm often asked like what was the most shocking thing and for me it was like how human she was and like oh isn't she she's just the warmest nicest person yeah yeah and I think that it was just uh, in my own experience running like realizing like as a a young woman realizing how like professional I had to be and like Mm. dehumanized and desensitized and I cried so many times in debates because I think I'm emotional when I talk about things I care about (laughs) like I cry. Yeah. (laughs) And like, I was told so many times not to do that. And I think that Hillary Clinton, I think I just saw in a whole new light of like, you're so human. And I know that I don't know if this this might be a very mean thing to say for Hillary Clinton, but um, like, I, I tell people like when I sat down with her, the only thing I could keep looking at were her hands because you know, like when you put on makeup and you wear new clothes and you do your hair, it's easy Mm -hmm. to like not age oneself, but Mm. Like, Hillary Clinton is older. She's an experienced politician and woman. And but you look at her hands and you just know that she's like a human older woman, right? Mm. And I think that it was just so humanizing for me to, like, stare at her hands and, like, hold her hand and shake her hand and just realize, like, (laughs) you are a human just like me. And you have, you know, pushed through so much and made headway for women like me to stand up and claim my power. 
It's such an interesting kind of two sides of a similar coin that there's the one piece of it where meeting her humanizes her so much and you, you know, recognize that she is a person with flaws and all of those things that that come into um, that you sort of forget when someone is constantly in the public eye. And so there's the piece of it that makes her so, so real and tangible. And then there's the other piece where meeting her elevates even more the amazing things that she has done as a person that like her yes this is one person who has gone through like run the gauntlet um so that the rest of us can follow after um and it's it's just so amazing um so you were also uh surrounded by some incredible other young women i was wondering um if you guys had a chance to kind of talk amongst yourselves and and what you learned from each other um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I made some really close friends, even in that photo shoot, um, and just with, like, people who just absolutely inspire me beyond end, and I think that, I think that, you know, when you do, when you do things like stand up and do not, I guess, quote-unquote, normal teenage things of, like, just being a student or that kind of thing, mm-hmm. like, you always get pushed back, right? And there are a lot of times, like, especially as we're all, like, all kind of, like, young workaholics. <laughs> um, like, you get... you. Is that your club like, name? The Young Workaholics? Alone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it should be a band name. Yeah. Um, but I think that, like, it's oftentimes, like, to feel alone. And I think one thing I think all of us kind of resonated with was, like, looking at each other and being, like, these are my people. Like, all mm-hmm. kind of resonating, like the times we are all cyber bullied for what we do or given pushback from people our age that you would normally think would support, but don't, um, I think, I think are all very, very powerful things to realize. That's so great. I'm so glad that you have that community, um, to turn to because yeah. that's so critical when you, um, when you are feeling alone to, kn- to remember that you yeah, are absolutely. not actually that way. Yeah. So Nadia, thank absolutely. you so, so much for joining us today. Can you tell, tell our listeners where people can find your work or follow you on social media? Yeah, so my social media is just at Nadia Okamoto. If you ever want to reach out or get in contact, like just message me on Instagram and I'll respond to everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and everything for period is period.org. My other organization is Next Fellows and that's nextfellows.org. Um, and yeah, I have a book coming out and it actually goes up for pre-order in the next few weeks. Um, so I'm super excited about that. So, so uh, yeah, awesome. Please feel free to reach out. And there's so many ways to get involved with period. So we're always ha- trying to recruit more for the movement. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Nadia. It was really great of to course. talk to you. And I'm so looking forward to seeing what you do next. And of course, I will pre-order your book as soon as I get off the phone with you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Thank you so much. And I hope to, yeah, I hope to stay in touch. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Bye now. Bye. This week's Pantsuit Nation podcast is brought to you by Goop. Goop is a lifestyle brand rooted in content that spans travel, food, beauty, style, work, and, of course, wellness. In addition to the twice-weekly newsletters, they've got their hands in several product cookie jars. There's Goop by Juice Beauty, a high-performance skincare line made from organic ingredients, a vitamin program to address the acute needs of modern women, a line of entirely natural fragrances, and a fashion label that's made in Italy's finest mills and launches in monthly limited edition installments. Goop's newest wellness product is Goop Glow Morning Skin Super Powder, a drinkable single-serving skin supporter which provides 
inside-out nutrition for a healthy complexion by way of powerful antioxidants, vitamins C and E, and more good stuff. And it tastes like oranges and lemon verbena. It's really, really good. Um, it helps you face down uh, oxidative photo damage, which can lead to signs of premature aging like dullness, uneven skin tone, fine lines, and loss of firmness. You can drink it as part of your morning health ritual, and the single-dose packets fit easily into a gym bag and travel with you anywhere you go. So you can get the Goop Glow just about anywhere. Also, if you're looking to take your morning ritual to the next level, the Goop by Juice Beauty Exfoliating Instant Facial does exactly what it sounds like it should. It instantly brightens and softens skin to reveal a glowing, smoother-looking complexion. Go online to goop.com slash pantsuit to get these and more Pantsuit Nation-approved Goop products. That's goop.com slash pantsuit. Goop.com slash pantsuit. So thanks again to Nadia for joining me today. It was really excellent to hear about the work that she is doing, and hopefully our listeners will be able to support her. Um, And now it's time for the call to action. So talk is heating up again about the possibility that the president might fire the special counsel, Robert Mueller, and we need to be ready to take action should he go through with it. So uh, go to trumpisnotabovethelaw.org to find a rapid response event near you. And this is where your event will be should Trump fire Mueller. And the plan is still the same as the last time we talked about this. Rallies will begin hours after news breaks of a Mueller firing. So if Mueller is fired before 2 p.m. local time, events will be at 5 p.m. local time that same day. And if uh, Mueller is fired after 2 p.m. local time, events will begin at noon local time the next day. This is the general plan, but please confirm the details on your event page. Again, that is trumpisnotabovethelaw.org. Um, Also, we are rapidly approaching both the next budget deadline on February 9th. I'm recording this on Wednesday, and I just saw reports that um, there is a budget compromise that does not include immigration, um, and also a deadline for Congress to help DACA recipients by March 5th. So we really need to keep pressure on elected officials to protect DREAMers. They are Americans, and they deserve to stay here without being used as bargaining chips to, to secure funding for needless border wall or ending diversity visas gutting family reunification efforts, all of that. So check out fivecalls.org for scripts to talk to your elected officials and their phone numbers. We really need to show Congress that the fate of 800,000 Dreamers matters to this country. So keep up the pressure. Um, and now we'll move into the golden pantsuit. Um, as always, this is an award that we give out to an amazing woman in the world who is doing something that uh, we really want to highlight and celebrate. And today, uh, the golden pantsuit goes to an amazing young woman, 13-year-old chef, Rahana Bissaret Martinez. She's from Oakland, and she was just the runner-up on Top Chef Junior. Um, and I have been recently binging on Top Chef, the regular show on Hulu, um, and so when I heard about this young woman uh, winning, uh, almost winning Top Chef Junior, um, I got really excited and watched all of the YouTube videos. So let's listen quickly as she describes the dish that got her immunity on the very challenging Restaurant Wars episode. What I made was an oyster with a cilantro, lime, garlic, granita, and then I just shaved a little bit of uh, Fresno chili on top. Granita in 28 minutes. I took a liquid nitrogen and I just made the little circles of granita. I love something that's real tangy and bold. I'm impressed. Awesome. Thank Thank you, you, Rahana. Rahana. So that is Rahana talking about her very 
professional sounding dish to Chef Kat Cora, who is an incredible um, role model for female chefs out there. Um, And so is Rahana. She is so talented and her technique and dedication got her all the way to the finale. Um, There's a really great interview with Rahana right now on Refinery29. And she talks about um, her heroes as being uh, Alice Waters for starting the Edible Schoolyard program um, because, and Rahana says, quote, I think it's really important to teach children about fruits and vegetables, unquote. Yes, of course, Rahana uh, can't say enough about that. And she also shouts out some amazing chefs from um, the Top Chef uh, alumni program, as it were, um, Chef Brooke Williamson and Chef Shirley Shirley Chung. Um, They're just two really strong women out there doing amazing work in this world. And she also talks about Chef Leah Chase and Julia Child, two um, veterans in the space who are, of course, really amazing people. So um, Rahana wants to go to culinary school, where, of course, she will clearly be at the top of her class. She wants to be an author and open a restaurant. And she really is an incredible inspiration for young women out there. And I think about Nadia as well, um, starting an organization when she's 16, who are just going after their dreams when they have them as early as they do. So you can check out the show on the Universal Kids YouTube channel and um, see Rahana uh, kick butt on Top Chef Kids or Top Chef Junior. So um, that brings me to the end of the show. I miss Libby very much, and I look forward to having her back uh, next week. And I wanted to thank our guest, Nadia Akamoto, to our sponsor this week, Goop, and of course, as always, to our team at Cadence 13. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, and you can leave us a review. You can visit pantsuitnation.org to learn more about our organization and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at pantsuitnation and check out our Medium publication, medium.com slash pantsuitnation. And we will be back next week. And until then, remember this democracy is your democracy. So stay engaged.